Jason and I go through the elements that make up an intelligent content marketed business, the foundation being a WordPress platform. We also talk about the importance of a social media presence, the dangers of investing in new technology too much, given that it's always changing, and about disruptive service by design. This is Digital Bacon FM. What I thought we'd uh, move to on this occasion is really the components of um, the business model that go to make up uh, the genesis of, uh, of a monopoly or a monopolistic business or a business that has the prospect at least of uh, becoming a monopoly in due course. Um, and these are the uh, the elements of um, intelligent content marketing as I've couched it. Hmm. The uh, kind of, you know, the, the features of the business model that over the last six, seven years um, became apparent to me as a result of all the reading and uh, watching videos and sort of researching that I was doing in and around the works of my intellectual heroes, Kevin Keller, Seth Golden, Charlie Munger and Don Tapscott. Um, and then, uh, you know, having taken their ideas and having applied it to our basic publishing model, which, as you know, is to provide all the resources for people to do the Hong Kong visa applications for free, uh, not needing to pay for any professional help. Um, these sort of, you know, I would say plugins to the business model, that's probably a decent way of describing it, yep. um, uh, came, came about uh, incrementally after having sort of, you know, the seed of an idea put into me and then me testing it out in, uh, in, in, in the business model and, uh, and learning, you know, in actual fact that uh, these things collectively and uh, and indeed individually um have uh, have led to us um consolidating our um our, our monopolistic dy- dynamic i would say so um really these are the sort of the elements that uh, go together to make up uh, an intelligent content marketed business so uh, firstly and somewhat self-evidently one might say uh, you need enabling technology um, now, enabling technology is uh, really very simple these days. The foundation technology, of course, is the WordPress platform. Yep. And uh, WordPress is completely free of charge, and we've discussed that previously um, in terms of what it um, uh, what it means for you to be able to have uh, a website put up very quickly and a website that will give you the ability to uh, control the contents of that website and to update it on an ongoing basis without really being tied to um, any sort of um, you know technical expert who's mm-hmm. going to charge you an arm and a leg every time you want to uh, make some sort of adjustment on um, uh, on uh, on your on your WordPress uh, platform. Sure. Um, in addition, to, in addition to WordPress, you know you um, can uh, make your uh, social media presences uh, and all the normal social media websites. So that's pretty straightforward. Uh, that's part and parcel of the enabling technology dimension to an intelligent content marketing um, uh, strategy en route to a monopoly. Is, and then there's other things too. That, it, sorry, sorry so, Jason. Yeah. Is, is, is there a way of investing too much in technology given that technology changes so quickly? Well, that's a great question. I think what tends to happen is that you know, you have identified or you identify something in your business that can be supported by technology and you do your research in relation to how that technology is going to work for you and deliver value for you. And then 
Um, if it's a publishing business like uh, ISIS at the Hong Kong Visa Center, then by implication, you're committed to that technology mm. uh, because you're going to um, you know, lay down a content platform that's going to be around for many, 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 many years to come. Okay. So you might say that um, you know, being committed to a technology is uh, a bit of an Achilles heel. Mm. Uh, because the technology um, moves sort of so swiftly. But then again, it depends what kind of technology you're talking about and sure. um, to what use you put it and, and how that technology itself um, and the developers of it kind of keep it up to date and keep it live and relevant and, um, uh, you know, uh, ensure that you have uh, access to um, those um, sort of upgrades and improvements on an ongoing basis. Okay, so uh, if you- I'll give you an example of this. Part of, part of the enabling technology uh, di- dimension is, for example, how to go about, um, as we did in our in our in our business, how to uh, go about uh, sh- allowing people to schedule appointments with us via the web, uh, and how to collect payments uh, for those scheduled appointments via the web, and indeed other products and services that we sell via our websites that um, are uh, orchestrated. The sales process is orchestrated by that technology, and that technology that we used. Uh, it's called Simplify This. I think it costs us 10 US dollars a month. Um, and the uh, developers of it are a small firm in Canada, but they keep it up to date. Uh, and it's, it's very well engineered. And we were able to very quickly and easily plug it into our WordPress platform where we needed to, to manage, you know, the sort of the sales process, as it were, via the web. Mm. Um, and uh, as I've said, it was cheap. The developers um, have kept it up to date. Uh, we committed to that technology, and I guess what over the last seven years we still use it robustly. We've maybe spent a thousand US dollars altogether. Mm-hmm. So you know, in terms of the decisions that we made way back when, um, it's certainly it's proven or served, or, or yeah, it, it's done well over the test of time, if you will. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, it hasn't been inexpensive to us. And, and even as we probably. I think five years into the business, we changed our accounting system at the back end mm. um, and we started to use the Zero accounting platform, which is a very powerful platform and is mm-hmm. um, you know, mod- modestly priced for the, for the value that you get, um, I believe. Uh, and uh, you know, once more, that's uh, now served as a, a major part of our enabling technology um, configuration. Uh, and it has, doesn't clash or you know contradict anything else that we're doing with our technology experience. Mm. So to answer your question, um, you know you, you could you could, for example, determine that you're not going to use WordPress because some very clever software salesman persuaded you of the merits of some other uh, publishing platform that you actually have to pay for that that might not be as let's say um, clunky as uh, as WordPress. Uh, 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 is as mm. some people describe it as being clunky, but those tend to be the purists anyway. Yeah. But, but the point behind this is that you can um, make a decision to um, sort of buy the shiny new thing, if you will, uh, and uh, commit to that. And then before you know it, it's not really serving your purposes, and you've um, uh, got a big sunk uh, sunk investment that uh, you know you're uh, you're regretting after all. Mm. I've found that if you work with the free um, uh, softwares or the very modestly priced plugins to the free softwares and, and the own responsibility for sort of mashing the technologies together so that you're getting the kind of impact and the effect that you want out of your technology experience, at least you're 
your client-facing uh, or your tribe-facing uh, technology experience. Um, it served as well if you go for the cheaper stuff rather than being committed to a big, big, big technology investment right from the outset, particularly if you don't know anything about technology to start. Sure. Now, the other, the other question that I had for you is in terms of having a look at a business, I think we, we, we don't give enough um, value to the amount of time that we invest in a business itself. So if you have a look at your, your particular business and you say that you have more than 10,000 pieces of content online, how do you yeah. attribute value to that content? Not so much in what it, what it brings you in terms of business, but in terms of IP. Well, I mean, it's, oh, wow. You know, by producing a piece of, uh, sorry, producing a platform, 10,000 pieces of content strong, uh, you gain huge amounts of value out of it. Mm. First and foremost, what you do is you put this huge pool of material on the internet that's very highly focused on a particular niche that has over time become um, integrated into the fabric of, uh, of the search experience. Certainly, uh, you know, Google will index all your stuff. And, and if you've um, produced that content in such a way that using natural language, it answers questions that people typically ask uh, about, you know, the material and subject matter of your niche, uh, then that material is, is going to continuously be delivered up by Google against queries that people have. So in a sense, you know, the return on that kind of uh, technology uh, platform building investment is um, uh, the return on it is, is, is massive because it just continues to throw up uh, new relationships as the, your um, material is uh, exposed to people who are looking for the answers uh, and the solutions that are inherent in, in that material. If you had to take a industrial economy old stalwart like myself and I was to look at a an, a, a new um, connection economy business and I you know I'm ignorant to to most of the points of it and you say the value of my business it comes from the 10,000 pieces of content that I've put on there and I don't understand it but you know intrinsically that's where where the value lies how do you find a middle point in in well let sort me of reconcile okay it? I understand your question okay let, 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 let me put it another way okay so we have we have our ten thousand pieces of content, and when you um, calculate the total number of the total amount of revenue that we make in twelve months, mm. and you um, assess the total number of visitors that you've had in that twelve month um, in that twelve month period, then what you can do is you can divide the total revenue by the total number of visitors that you had. Hmm. which will then give you a, a quantum as to the value of every visitor that comes to your website. Gotcha. So the value of every visitor that comes to our website uh, on the basis of a, a, a sunk investment uh, of 10,000 pieces of content is uh, $11 US. Okay. That's a great deal of money so there for you've a got, visit. Indeed. So so you've got um, you've got some, you know, real sort of tangible value that you can ascribe to your content platform mm. uh, in that respect but 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 more than that um you know the the us dollar 11 uh 
worth of each visitor is really just a way of keeping score to tell you how well the business model is doing. Mm. The intrinsic value is in all the relationships that you generate as a result of the goodwill that comes from you having published in the way that we have and made ourselves available to answer people's answer people questions and um, uh, and allow them to uh, have their problems solved. Mm. Um, so your content your content platform is uh, it's a slow burn kind of investment. It, it takes it takes a while. You know, I think it probably took us at least. 18 months to two years of continuously publishing a piece of content every single day before it, it became apparent that we were starting to gain regular traction from visitors that were finding us and were interacting with the content and reaching out to us and, and giving us an opportunity to forge relationships and indeed sell services on the back of that. So by having that presence on the web in the way that you do, uh, the value is immeasurable, really, all told. It mm. just gives you a future. It gives you, and we, our business grows a little bit every single day, effectively. I mean, yes, yeah, some days we don't quite do as well as the day before, but on average, our trend is up. So we grow every single day a little bit. And over a while that, over, over, um, a time that growth, you know, begins to reflect itself in your financial performance. And uh, and then you've got the kind of, you know, uh, the exponential dynamic that creeps in too, because when you start off with a small content platform, as we did with no content, uh, and then get, get up to, you know, a point where we've got 10,000 pieces of content and growing, then clearly, you know, the uh, the size of that content pool uh, is a driver of uh, of uh, more and more visitors, mm. and uh, we create 500 new relationships as a result of our content platform uh, uh, now. And those 500 relationships are turning into significant pools of revenue and significant uh, future relationships and significant uh, uh, referral uh, referral sources and just generation of goodwill and propagation of the idea virus and you know the all round sort of recognition that um, uh, in Hong Kong, anyone who has an immigration problem, you mm. know, can get uh, the answer to their problem by visiting our website or reaching out to our firm because for you know, free. We've, uh, we've been able to achieve that through our publishing activities. Uh, indeed, of course, all yep. for free. Yep. Um, disruptive service design, the next part. Yeah. So um, the beauty of having uh, a content platform is that you in a sense, can sell stuff that your competitors can't. Um, an example of this is that um, my competitors all essentially sell one product, and it's it's the uh, it's the equivalency of what we call in our practice the platinum product, and that's basically full service outsource. You've got a visa problem, uh, give us all the documents, we'll do all the paperwork. We'll do all the arguing with the immigration department. We'll stand in the queues. We'll make sure you know that problem gets solved. Uh, and, uh, and and here's the fee for that for that service. So mm. that that that's the standard, you know, um, service that gets delivered to uh, an immigration applicant who doesn't want to do the stuff by themselves. So it's the same product that I sell that everybody else is everybody else sells. So so far so good. Um, apart from the fact that we've you know put a few whistles and bells on our offering. Uh, such as a uh, you know 200% money back guarantee, yep. which our competitors don't offer. Um, what you do have is this ability to um, sell services at a cheaper price than your main, as a, in our case, our main platinum offering, because once you've developed a content pool that teaches people how to do this stuff themselves, um, you can then um, recognize that there are 
potential customers that want to spend money with you, but they don't have the money for the platinum product, mm. but they may have the money, say, for half of the service that you might otherwise uh, be able to supply to them. Mm. Um, now, our competitors would never sell a half an immigration service because logistically and fiscally it makes no sense. It's just, mm. you know, you, you, you make money out of immigration by A, knowing what you're doing and B, about being efficient so you can get it done as fast as you can because the more time you spend on the case, the less profitable it time is. is money. So if you, yeah. So if, uh, if you want to sort of help somebody with their own case, as we do with our disruptive uh, service offerings, um, you've really got to have a kind of a, an infrastructure to be able to provide that service. And that requires a content pool like we have that you know represents a do-it-yourself guide to the whole process so that uh, those people who do want to spend money with you but haven't got the budget for the full service, they can buy it like the half service, which for us is the gold mm. service. Um, or they can buy um, the, uh, the uh, silver service or they can buy a mere consultation service. So um, our client, our, our, our competitors cannot sell, for example, the silver service and they can't sell the gold service. Most of them don't want to sell the, the consultation service and they just want to do the platinum service um, because essentially if you're just selling a consultation service, all you're doing is, is, is answering their questions there and then in the conference room and they're going away and taking on board that stuff. Well, actually, we can deliver the same kind of experience for people for free via uh, via the telephone where we're just ready to answer questions when people have got them. So it only takes us five or 10 minutes to answer questions. We don't need to think about charging an hour's consultation fee, which our competitors would have to do because um, that's the way that they are configured to be able to uh, make the return on their consultants' uh, time. Whereas for us, we just see the opportunity to answer questions and help solve problems by the phone as a kind of a, a, a relationship creation dynamic. And, uh, uh, and we don't have to worry about trying to wheedle money out of people for um, the, um, the answers that we're giving to the questions that they've got that they need answers to before they can make informed decisions to us sure. so you know how to really go about solving the problem over the long term. So, so, so with a content platform like we have, Essentially, you've got the opportunity to sell stuff that, that our competitors can't. Mm. Uh, and, and there you've got the ability to maintain your profit margins because, you know, our, our hourly rate uh, is calculated the same irrespective of what we are, uh, the type of service that we're offering. It's just that the client is, is, is not exposed to, you know, an open clock with the, um, with the bill never being known until the case is finished. Sure. Uh, we cap our fees all in advance and, uh, and we give, clients uh, you know uh, surety of what it's going to cost them for the particular advice that they have uh, they sought from us mm. but as i say if you've got a content platform uh, that your competitors haven't got you then empower your customers to take a lot of the the work uh, the intellectual work associated with an immigration application and hands-on preparation work associated with an immigration application you can pass that back to the client and they can save the value that they would normally have to pay for a full service immigration consultant mm. and so that way we uh, we can appeal to every sector of, uh, of our marketplace whereas um, the business models of our competitors, which haven't changed for 30 years, of course, um, naturally uh, delimit the uh, uh, clientele 
uh, that would use that service to those that who, who have got the money to pay for the full full service offering rather than some of the cheaper service offerings because that budget doesn't stretch that far. And has has um, being uh, an internet platform for the most part also been disruptive from a traditional sit across a desk from a lawyer kind of service? Well, that's a good question as well because when I first started, <laughs> I'm full of them today. Hong Kong visa, you are, aren't you? Gosh, you've, 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 been, you've practicing. been drinking the good question potion this morning. Yeah. <laughs> um, when I when I first started uh, the Hong Kong visa, when Martin and I first started the Hong Kong visa center, I was I was stuck in Western Australia and didn't have the financial means to come back to Hong Kong to set up a bricks and mortar immigration consulting business once again after all the trials and tribulations of my, you know, lost 10 years between 2000 and 2010. So uh, when I was thinking about how to deliver an immigration service by remote, um, it made me look at the sort of the dynamics of how clients wish to be um, uh, served in an, in the immigration space, and the, what what I kind of discovered was that well, yeah, actually, clients have an expectation that they're going to sit across from a lawyer in a conference room, uh, because that's how it's always been done. Sure. Um, but these days, the um, ubiquity, u- ubiquitousness, ubiquity, ubiquity of mm. um, technology that allows you to you know communicate via the web. Uh, particularly video conferencing, Skype video and the likes, um, it's very acceptable to you know most clients for them to uh, have their uh, exchange with their advisor remotely, particularly if it's not costing them anything sure. or it's coming at a, a significantly reduced uh, cost mm. compared to you know our competitors who don't offer that capability. So um, at the outset, seven years ago, I recognized that in any event, because of my life circumstances, I needed to get to groups with the ability to deliver an immigration consulting experience remotely. Uh, and as it happened, the technology was available. Skype video had just sort of come into its own. Uh, and so it became possible, therefore, to uh, offer something that wasn't available in the market. And, uh, and it probably only took about a year, year and a half or so before um, I, I became conscious of the fact that that people were no longer commenting on, you know, the mod, the modality of how they were uh, interacting with us. Sure. Uh, they were um, just kind of like thought, well, yeah, this is what the modern world's all about now. This is the way that these guys are doing it. And by the way, it's clear that they know what they're talking about, and their uh, their prices are cheaper than they're elsewhere available in the marketplace, or at least the value that is they're getting from us is um, um, is is orchestrated in such a way so that they can save money rather mm. than you know what we do being cheaper than others so uh, never never really encountered any kind of resistance to it and as as time has gone on um i think most clients even when we sit with them face to face in conference room now they they usually have some comment or observation about you know the, the kind of website experience that they've had with us prior to uh, to sitting down with us in conference and then when we sit when they sit down in conference obviously they appreciate it it's kind of known to them but uh, uh, we've been able to have a, a healthy mix of client interaction uh, dynamics and uh, uh, we haven't been compromised at all as a result of well, doing it in a novel way as a client i can attest to that because it was exactly the path that i followed google yeah find the info look at the one that looked the most competent and uh, answered all of the questions hit pay, waited for your call, and the rest, they say, is history. 
Indeed, indeed. And look at us now, all these years later. Absolutely. As you said, relationships were forged. Indeed, they were. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. Yes. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Right. Move, moving on, value-laden pricing. I think we've discussed um, a few times the value that you bring for the prices that you charge. Uh, the science of persuasion. How does that figure in? Well, you know, science of persuasion is really a sort of an amalgam of um, uh, the work of uh, Caldini, uh, mm-hmm. and the stuff that uh, I've picked up from Charlie Munger over time, and increasingly uh, stuff that I'm finding on the internet, uh, a guy called Frank Kern. Um, and, and basically what, what the science of persuasion uh, is all about is just recognizing that, that, that we as humans um, – we're very complicated people and we live in a very complex world and we make decisions based on emotion and we justify the decisions after the fact based on logic. We are not logical animals. We are emotional animals. Mm. And because we're emotional animals, it means that we are in our, at our, at our core, core, in our core DNA, our personalities, we are wired to, um, to make shortcuts in our thinking because, you know, if you had to be, completely logical about every single decision that you ever made. You never make any decisions because the the decision-making process based on pure logic would be so cumbersome and you'd be, you'd be so scared of making mistakes that you simply wouldn't, you know, make any decisions and you would, you would, you would wither and die. Mm. So, so in that regard, what we have humans have done is we've developed a series of psychological shortcuts to allow us to make decisions so that we can function in life. And an example of this, Jason, is, you know, um, if you want to buy something, but you're worried about, you know, you're making the right decision. One of the obvious things that we do as humans is we look to see what other people are doing. Mm. Are other people buying this? And if other people are buying this stuff, then, then that's a shortcut to your own decision-making capability as to what you should do. Mm. Because if they're doing it, then it must be all right, right? So yep. it kind of, in a sense, it de- it de-risks the decision that you're making. Mm. So, um, so basically, social proof is part of the science of persuasion. Mm. Um, another element of the science of persuasion is reciprocity. Um, I do something for you, and then you have this innate sense that you should do something for me in return. So. Given that that's part of our, you know, biological evolutionary evolutionary wiring, if you will, um, then then you can think about how you can not manipulate it, but how you can incorporate it into your proposition. Mm. In a very simple way of illustrating how we've done this is, you know, the fact that we answer people's questions for free, mm. um, and we help them solve problems typically via the phone for free. Um, so if you've got an immigration problem and you've been worried about it for a while and you go on the internet and you find a website and then you discover that there's a guy there that really knows what he's talking about and then you reach out to them and then you may not get to that guy but you get to one of his people and these people then turn around and then basically tell you everything that you need to know so you can stop worrying or at least allow you to make informed decisions as to what your, you know, your next action would be to try to go about solving that problem. If we've done all of that without any expectation of return, then the party who's been on the receiving end of all of that, whether they like it or not, they've got this innate sense that they owe us something, right? Mm. They don't have to pay us any money. And unless they're sociopaths, and you get those occasionally, but, but 
But in the main, if you've done something for somebody, you have this innate sense, oh, gosh, I should repay that favor. Um, and if you do that, perhaps as we do, 15 or 20 times a day with complete strangers, then over over uh, time, you know, you generate a, a really big sort of bank of goodwill. Mm. And that bank of goodwill will, will, will invariably begin to sort of yield a return for you without you knowing that you're getting that return. And that's just, you know, positive words that are, um, that are mentioned by, um, by the people that you've helped. It can be sometime later, the people that you've helped will, will mention what a great experience they've had with, you know, this guy called the Hong Kong Visa Geezer and this website that solves all these, answers all these questions and what have you. Um, uh, and so they'll, uh, they'll tell their friends and, and basically the, the law of reciprocity over time, if you are um, if you if you're doing what, what the kind of stuff that we're doing, will will we'll, we'll yield amazing uh, returns for you, mm. uh, and that's another element of the the science of persuasion. Mm. So 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 Caldi, Caldini talks about I think six particular shortcuts that are inimical to uh, to the average human being, mm. and Kern, for example, he talks about uh, the difference between uh, the the social ID and the core ID. And by that, what he what he says is that every human being has got two personalities. You've got your your social personality, and you've got your core personality, mm. and your social personality is kind of made up of all the uh, responses and expectations that other people have of you, because when you find yourself in various situations, you as a human behave in different ways, right? So mm. the expectations and interactions that you have. When you're dealing with your with your children's school teacher, is different from the expectations of and the interactions that you have with, say, your colleagues at work or with your boss mm. or with uh, you know the the, the 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 server in the restaurant or um, an old friend. So basically, you what you have is you've got your social response to situations that come from your social ID, but then actually, what's really going on. The decisions that people ultimately make that are of utmost significance don't get don't get made by the social ID. They get made by the core ID, and the core ID basically is is everything that that you represent and what what you feel about life. Um, essentially, trying to live a life um, where you can have experiences. Mm. And um, if you understand the difference between the core ID and the uh, the social ID. When you're putting together your proposition and your messaging um, via the web, particularly, then you can adjust the uh, communications anticipatory that you've really got to command people's attention uh, via the, uh, the, the the core ID, excuse me, the social ID, and then once you've commanded their attention via the uh, the social ID, you then communi- communicate with them via uh, the core the co- the core identity, okay. and this would take take the guise of like our uh, our communication via the, the the social identity is do you want to build a monopoly from nothing with no money invested mm. that line you're either you're either attracted to it or you're not attracted to it sure. but once you're attracted to it you then do your communications at the emotional level at the core level you don't do it at the social level okay. and, uh, and and frank frank kern talks you know at a, a, a great length as to you know how all that comes about so okay. having understood that that record that's all part and parcel of the science of persuasion mm. you've got the ability to um, to inculcate you know those those learnings and those understandings of how real life works into your proposition and be persuasive in the process 
Good. Stephen, let's pick up again next week. I'm really glad that we did manage to get to chat today. Look forward to it, Jason, sir. Have a great weekend. Bye. Digital Bacon FM. So, have you created your WordPress platform yet? What are you waiting for? It's free. Join us in the next episode and find out all about how to craft an irresistible offer.